0: Welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 143, First Witnesses. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. I have loved seeing all of my New Year's resolutioners. I knew, I knew, I knew before we started this year because I saw it last year. I always get a surge of people at the very beginning of the year because there's a whole bunch of you saying, okay, I'm going to be good and, and keep up with Come Follow Me something that i have discovered as as i tell people about what i do and we talk about come follow me is that a lot of people tend to get discouraged when they get behind so i want to encourage you if you get behind if you miss a week of reading if you whatever whatever happens that you feel like is disrupting you being quote good at come follow me just start where the program is at Don't try and feel like you have to catch up. If you want to catch up, that's great. And if you want to go back and read what we missed, but just stay with the program. Don't let you missing a week with your family make you feel like you have to go back and make up for what you missed. Just start where you're at. Don't try and go back and listen to episodes before you can listen to the most current one, unless you really want to. Just stop beating yourself up and just come back to where we're at. Okay, that's my little spiel for today. Also keep sharing because I can tell when you're sharing. It makes me so happy that we're reaching more people. All right, this week, we are going to talk about a group of witnesses of the advent of the birth of Jesus Christ. In fact, they were the very first witnesses. We're going to talk about the shepherds. I thought about talking about the wise men too, but then my shepherd section got so big that I just decided to focus on the shepherds. And some of the way that I start thinking, I hope you guys can follow my train of thought. I don't know that it perfectly applies to the shepherds, but this is just where my brain went today, and so I'm going to go with it. First, I want to read to you the the section that talks about the shepherds in Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And when they had seen it they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I wonder if one of the things Mary was pondering is why shepherds were the ones that appeared. At this time in history, shepherds were at the bottom of the social hierarchy. There was a time when being a shepherd was a noble profession. In the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, nearly everyone was a shepherd, wealthy or not. But once the 12 tribes of Israel were enslaved by the Egyptians, they were introduced into a new way of life. The Egyptians were agriculturalists, and sheep and goats are the enemy of agriculture, gobbling up all the plant life in their path. The Egyptians didn't see use for sheep as food or for sacrifice, and there's quite extensive record in the Old Testament about the Egyptians' disdain for shepherds. This disdain changed the way the Israelites viewed shepherding, and as the Israelites in their history came out of bondage from the Egyptians, they retained agriculture as their primary way of life, and the shepherding fell to the lowest class of society, and often that disdain was warranted to some extent because those shepherds would often allow their flocks to graze on the land of others. So it's interesting to think about Jesus later than using the analogy of he himself being the good shepherd of sheep. Isn't that just like him to use the occupation despised by the Jews, the lowest occupation to compare himself to? I'm sure it challenged their minds to break out of unrighteous judgment. And then of all people that God could have had witnessed that night, Christ's birth, he chose shepherds, the lowest of all. What message was there for the people of that day, for the religious leaders of that day, that God didn't choose them to witness the Savior the night of his birth? That makes me think and wonder, actually I know, if the Lord approved of where the hearts of the religious leaders were of that day. What message is there for us? We don't know much about these shepherds or who they were or if they were honest and good men, but I think I'd like to think that their hearts were prepared. That doesn't mean that they were somebody that we might look at as the most righteous. But I think I want to think that their hearts were soft. Most, if not all of you listening to me today, are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The question that I want to ask myself is if the Lord, if I feel like the Lord would count me worthy to witness an event as magnificent as this, is my heart prepared? Now, I think sometimes we get caught up in our our technical membership. I'm sure that the religious leaders of the Jews, the priests, and the Pharisees would probably consider themselves more likely or more worthy to witness an event like this. So that makes me think, am I in danger of thinking because I am a member of the restored church of Jesus Christ that the Lord would automatically count me more worthy? I don't think so. Do you think that he would choose someone with a pure, humble, and sincere heart who is not a member of the church over someone who holds the title of a member of the Lord's Restored Church and yet has a hard heart? Of course, he would choose the person with a soft heart. He would consider them more worthy. The Lord cares far more about our hearts than anything else. In fact, as I listen to podcasts and watch some of my evangelical friends live their faith on their sleeve unashamed— I often think that many of our Christian brothers and sisters out in the world are spiritually in a safer place than many members of the Lord's Church. In fact, through prophecy and modern-day revelation, we know that many of us are not worthy and will not be worthy at the day of the Lord's second coming, even though we hold that title of being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Sure, those Christian brothers and sisters of ours haven't made covenants under the divine authority and direction of the true priesthood authorized by God himself, but if their hearts are in the right place, they are going to snatch up those ordinances in a moment as soon as they are given what the Lord would consider a real chance to accept the gospel. So that's my question for myself and for you. Where is your heart? A good way to evaluate where our heart is is how we spend our time. I came across a scripture recently that really made me think about how I'm using my resources. And Jacob in 2 Nephi, he talks about money and our labor. I also think about this scripture in reference to, to my time and my resources and my talents. So listen to this. 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 51. Wherefore, do not spend money for that which is of no worth, nor your labor for that which cannot satisfy. Hearken diligently unto me and remember the words which I have spoken and come unto the Holy one of Israel and feast upon that which perisheth not, neither can be corrupted and let your soul delight in fatness. I was just barely talking to my sister on Marco Polo right before this. And we were talking about media. And one of the reasons we were talking about it is I was just writing about it as I was preparing for this episode and she was telling me that she records friends on YouTube TV and I and I was like, "Ooh, I need to do that because we have YouTube TV and I don't even really use it and you can't stream friends on Netflix anymore." But then I thought, I was just barely writing about using our time wisely with media that is that is good. And here I am wanting to record a show that I actually don't think increases my spirituality. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. Like that's a surprise. It does not increase my spirituality. I know that for a fact. And when I watch it, I often feel uncomfortable. And I know it's a dated show, and it's far tamer than lots of shows that we watch now. But when I when I watch it, I can tell that that's not a wise use of my time. And that led to the discussion of us talking about like where do you draw the line? Like how do you know what media to consume? And which ones to not consume. And then it's really hard. Like, And my sister said something like, I guess it's the shows that you would feel comfortable watching with Jesus. But then that nixes out pretty much everything. And culturally, we want to be like, that's too extreme. That's ridiculous. And that's where my mind goes because I want to watch those shows. But is that too extreme? Because I'm pretty sure me convincing myself that that's too extreme is just a justification. So then we started talking about what do people do like really super righteous people that have just the purest of hearts and are doing so amazing spiritually and are on this elevated spiritual pl- plane what do they do how do they how do they decide this and I thought about some people in my life and I like the, who I consider to just really be so close to the spirit I'm like you know what they I don't think any of them really watch a whole lot of TV which is hard because I love to watch my shows at night and I'm not going to, I'm not saying that I'm going to stop right now necessarily, but it made me think, I'm like, what do they do with their time? If they're not, if they're in the evening, they're not going to their show and feeling so cozy and getting on the couch and they're like, okay, I'm not going to watch my show, which this is revealing a whole lot about me and what I enjoy to do at night. And the answer that we landed on was their souls delight in fatness in the things that really matter, in things that actually increase their ability to feel the Spirit. And that doesn't mean they're reading their scriptures all the time and they're only focused on on religion at all times, but it means that they are engaged in activities and excited about, about books and and other worthwhile things that still are relaxing that bring them and keep them close to the Spirit and doesn't chase the Spirit away. They feast upon that which perisheth not, neither can be corrupted, and let their souls delight in fatness. Another topic other than media that I was thinking about is a lot of our time here on earth is spent thinking about how to make money and how to spend that money. I know that I do. The earning and spending of money is an unavoidable part of mortality. When I find myself in a spiritually deficient moment of my life, I often find that it's because I'm far too focused on things that don't matter. When I'm focused on things that perisheth and can be corrupted. When I'm focused on things that are not virtuous, not lovely, not of good report, not praiseworthy. My days can get busy. I know yours do too. And sometimes those days are busy in good ways. But sometimes they're focused on things that aren't necessarily bad, but aren't necessarily beneficial for me or my family if I'm not doing them for the right reasons. What does Jacob tell us there? Do not spend money. Time, resources for that which is of no worth, nor your labor for that which cannot satisfy. It makes me think how much of my life is pointing to the Lord? How much of my labor, as I take care of my children, run them to activities, as I shop, as I decorate my house, as I socialize with others, is dedicated to the Savior? How much of my time is sacrificed on the altar of self centered indulgence? When it could be sacrificed on the altar of the Lord, everything in my life that is good can be dedicated to and point toward the Savior. And anything that I am unable to dedicate to the Savior because it is not good can and should be discarded. Isn't that a great way to judge if we're using our time wisely? If I'm spending time with a friend with whom I have a problem gossiping with and I ask myself, can I dedicate this time to the Savior? that's a pretty easy no. So I either need to fix that time with that friend or I need to use my time differently. If I'm using my time to watch that media that I cannot bear to associate with the Savior, I shouldn't be watching that media. And I'm talking about media a lot because that's something that I've really contemplated a lot in the last few years as I've decided what shows really invite the Spirit into my life. In fact, I have a really hard time putting religious artwork too close to the TV, because I know, I know that that will prick at my heart as I expose potentially the face of the savior to anything terrible. Now, I know that some would call this line of thinking extreme, and I certainly do not do this perfectly by any means, but I really do believe what I'm saying. And that doesn't mean that I think that there's any anything wrong with time for leisure or pleasure or enjoyment, but... I don't know. I don't know what the perfect balance is, but I just I can't help but think as I work through this in my mind that a lot of the way I think about things is just justification. When I when I can't bear to even show my TV to the face of the savior, there's something wrong there. There's something off there. And it's something that we all should evaluate. So, what should our takeaway be from Jacob? Do not spend your time on things that are of no worth. And as I say that, maybe that's that's one way to judge what you should or shouldn't watch. Can you attach worth to that thing? I don't know. But as we do this imperfectly, I think our willingness to try to fill our lives with productivity and leisure that's worthy of the Savior's name is a good measure of where our heart is. And I know that it's one of the ways that we can use personal revelation. We are all given the light of Christ. And if you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you've been given the gift of the Holy Ghost and can be given the gift of discernment. We all ultimately know what is distracting from our spirituality, and the Spirit can help us identify those things and decide what to do with them. Now, we've kind of gone a little off track from talking about shepherds, but the reason my mind went there is I was just thinking of myself being there, being a shepherd, being shown a vision from God. Being told that the Savior of the world has just been born miles from me, maybe not even miles. Do I feel like my heart is prepared, like I'd like to think that theirs was? We don't live in a time, because it's already in the past, where we are going to witness Jesus Christ's birth in person, in mortality. But we are at a time in which we might get to witness the second coming of Jesus Christ in mortality. Do I feel worthy? Do I feel ready to see miracles, to see my savior? That doesn't mean, do I feel perfect? Do I feel like I'm doing everything right? But is my heart willing and ready and able to take my favorite sins and put them on the altar of the Lord and give them away to him for him? Like I said before, We don't really know much about the shepherds who were there on the night of Jesus' birth. We don't know where they were at spiritually, but we do know that they saw angels, found the Savior, and went about telling everyone what they saw. Perhaps they were righteous and pure of heart, or perhaps they were in the group Jesus identified as the sick in need of a physician. And actually, as I say that, that's the same group. You can be both righteous and worthy and be sick and in need of a physician. In fact, we all do. So I guess the real question is, am I progressing toward overcoming the world? President Nelson recently gave us a blessing, blessing us with the ability to overcome the world. In October conference, 2022, he said this, what does it mean to overcome the world? It means overcoming the temptation to care more about the things of this world than the things of God. It means trusting the doctrine of Christ more than the philosophies of men. It means delighting in truth, denouncing deception, and becoming humble followers of Christ. It means choosing to refrain from anything that drives the Spirit away. It means being willing to give away even our favorite sins. Now, overcoming the world certainly does not mean becoming perfect in this life, nor does it mean that your problems will magically evaporate because they won't. And it does not mean that you won't still make mistakes. But overcoming the world does mean that your resistance to sin will increase. Your heart will soften as your faith in Jesus Christ increases. Overcoming the world means growing to love God and His beloved Son more than you love anyone or anything else. As we strive to live the higher laws of Jesus Christ, our hearts and our very natures begin to change. The Savior lifts us above the pull of this fallen world by blessing us with greater charity, humility, generosity, kindness, self-discipline, peace, and rest. Now, you may be thinking this sounds a lot more like hard spiritual work than rest. But here is the grand truth. While the world insists that power, possessions, popularity, and pleasures of the flesh bring happiness, they do not they cannot. What they do produce is nothing but a hollow substitute for the blessed and happy state of those who keep the commandments of God. The truth is that it is much more exhausting to seek happiness where you can never find it. However, when you yoke yourself to Jesus Christ and do the spiritual work required to overcome the world, he and he alone does have the power to lift you above the pull of this world. Now, how does overcoming the world bless our lives? the answer is clear. Entering into a covenant relationship with God binds us to Him in a way that makes everything about life easier. Please do not misunderstand me. I did not say that making covenants makes life easy. In fact, expect opposition, because the adversary does not want you to discover the power of Jesus Christ. But yoking yourself with the Savior means you have access to His strength and redeeming power. With the power of the holy apostleship vested in me, I bless you in your quest to overcome this world. I bless you to increase your faith in Jesus Christ and learn better how to draw upon his power. I bless you to be able to discern truth from error. I bless you to care more about the things of God than the things of the world. I bless you to see the needs of those around you and strengthen those you love. Because Jesus Christ overcame this world, you can too. I so testify in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do not underestimate the promise you were just given in October by President Nelson. He blessed us. He blessed you with power to overcome the world. As I think about things that I need to discard from my life, I cling to that promise that he blessed me to care more about the things of God than the things of this world. This prophecy given by Nephi is about you. I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb and upon the covenant people of the Lord who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. And they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to now include the readings that I did in December of Matthew chapter two and Luke chapter two, so that if you would like to continue, you can listen to me read that to you. I apologize for the difference in audio. My husband gave me a sweet new microphone for Christmas. And so the previous microphone was getting the job done, but you definitely, especially when you put them right next to each other, can tell a difference. So with that, here is those chapters. Matthew chapter 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the day of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is the child that is born, the Messiah of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them, saying, Where is the place that is written of by the prophets in which Christ should be born? For he feared greatly, yet he believed not the prophets. And they said unto him, It is written by the prophets that he should be born in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus they have said, The word of the Lord came unto us, saying, And thou, Bethlehem, which lieth in the land of Judea, in thee shall be born a prince, which art not the least among the princes of Judea. For out of thee shall come the Messiah, who shall save my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise! and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, He shall be called a Nazarene. And it came to pass that Jesus grew up with his brethren, and waxed strong, and waited upon the Lord for the time of his ministry to come. And he served unto his Father, and he spake not as other men, neither could he be taught, for he needed not that any man should teach him. And after many years the hour of his ministry drew nigh." If you're following along in the scriptures or you've read and you feel like some of this is new to you, just know that I am reading for these first few chapters. I actually kind of stopped because it got really hard to do, but are the Joseph Smith translation. So that last part of this chapter is an edition by the Prophet Joseph. Luke chapter two. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one in his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one, Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Azer, She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast, and when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance, and when they found them not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man.